are listening to Chugga Talk with Ryan Murphy, a podcast by Pull Across Made Simple. On this episode of Chucka Talk, you'll meet the Maryland boys, Ryan Trueblood, Ryan Strider, and Paul Repenning. We discuss their upbringing in polo cross, from Pony Club to the World Cup and beyond. They share stories of the past 20 years in this great sport. We have a surprise announcement from Paul's wife, Emily, right in the beginning of the episode. Also, stay tuned for our first feedback, which we'll share at the end of the podcast. Here on Chugga Talk, the goal is to shrink the pole across world by connecting people together and most importantly, to provide education by interviewing players from all over the world. So listen closely and enjoy. So everyone knows Ms. Preggers. I'm pregnant. Oh my gosh! <laughs> Congratulations! Thank you. How pregnant are you? 16 weeks. And it's going by really fast. She's a little bit pregnant. She's a little bit pregnant. <laughs> I see now. Yeah. So let's get this podcast started. I'd like to welcome the Maryland boys to the Chucka Talk podcast. This is such an honor for me. I, these guys are good friends of mine. Stop making noise, Paul. Jeez, I have to edit that out. So we've got Paul Repenny, Ryan Strider, and Ryan Trueblood, who are dear to my heart. They all grew up playing together. This is such an honor to get them all together. They're all currently fathers, so that's scary. But just from like where they started to now, we just want to hear their story. I'm honored to be here with you guys. So let's just go around and just say your name, where you're from in Maryland, how long you've been playing polo cross, your wife's name, your child's name, and yeah. your child's age. Go. Paul Repenning. Dr. Paul Repenning. Paul, my wife, Emily, and uh, daughter, Lulu. We live in Mechanicsville, Maryland, on the same farm I was born on. So I think we started playing in like late 99, early 2000. Uh, I was going to say 2000, just to make the math easy. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it, it was 2000. I've done my research. It was definitely You've done 2000. your research. Okay. Yeah. So we already got the, I started um, 2000. Uh, Soren is 20 months old. St. Leonard, Maryland, now in Texas, Copeland, Texas, uh, the home of the longest standing polo cross club. Oh, is it? You, so. you don't sound very loyal right now. <laughs> the Bay Area or to Lone Star? To, to Maryland, you know, this podcast. Mm-hmm. I'm just spreading out the Maryland uh, tree. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. You you, aban- you abandoned Maryland. We'll get to that. Ryan Trueblood, current Brandywine, Maryland resident. My wife, Jessica, and I have one child. He'll be two next month. His name's Wyatt. I've been playing, I don't know, somewhere around the same time as Paul and Ryan, I guess. But was it the same time or was it just after? No, Ryan, you were, he was playing before. Was I? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you okay. had that big black bastard of a horse. Oh, a quarter horse cross? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Real polo cross pony. The breed for every need. <laughs> okay, so we have all three of you on here. Speaking of when you all started, I wanted to get some fan participation. There's a gentleman from Maryland. His name's Mike Strider. And he said that at the first tournament for Paul and Ryan Strider, you showed up on these little ponies, and there's a girl there that said, I'm not playing with them. You got rejected. <laughs> go. Okay. And then what happened? Let's tell the rest of that tournament story. Paul, you want to take it? Uh, I don't, no, who, who was supposed no, to play with them? 
I don't know. Didn't Victoria Prince end up playing with us, right? Yeah, she played with us, but I feel like there's somebody else that was supposed to be on our team. There was that, that person. The, the, the person that rejected you was a sister. I'll tell the rest of the story. You ended up playing on these little ponies, and no one wanted to touch you because you were from Pony Club, and you were on these little ponies, and you won B grade that tournament. And that was regional. Ryan, Ryan basically won B grade, so I felt awesome. Yeah, Ryan played like I think that was like a thirteen two hand pony. Yeah, it was my game's pony. Yeah, oh. and he would seriously just snag the ball in the lineup and then just go down, down, shoot, score. It was just unstoppable, and he did it all friggin' weekend. I actually don't know what I did while. That was the beginning of the end for Ryan. And then you, now you never play a one anymore. Do you think Ryan didn't let you really shine in that tournament and that set the trajectory for a failure of a career? In yeah, Cross? I think so. I actually blame all my shortcomings on that weekend uh, <laughs> entirely, entirely. It was a pretty wild weekend. We had both of our moms drive us there. We carpooled. We were doing the Pony Club thing, so we like stayed in the hotel with our moms. And we get there... And I think I remember the first thing we saw was this dude, I have no idea who it was, stripped down to his underwear, like right in plain view and get dressed to play. My mom wasn't very shocked, but Arlene was shocked. Yeah, but it was a big time. We met you then, kind of. Adam Redman was, was there umpiring. Wait, yeah, I remember so Adam Redman being there. And there was an Aussie uh, announcer. Yeah, no, no, it who? was uh, Lach Lachlan Hughes was the announcer. So who was in their underwear changing? Dude, we're going to have to look for Mystery B. I don't know. Probably you for all I know. No, it definitely wasn't me. Definitely was not me. True Blood, do you remember your first tournament? First tournament? Uh, I'm not sure about my first tournament. I can tell you for sure the first time Polo Cross was introduced to me. Uh, of course, I was at a pony club summer camp and a couple by the name of last name of the bowmans came with a whole bunch of rackets and balls and maybe a one or two hour introduction to polo cross and funny story is i ended up with one of your old rackets mm. so from day one you were like my hero buddy <laughs> you were you were my hero i had your racket and i don't know i was scared i was scared out of my underpants and i was you able to play with a left-handed racket that's how I won, because I was cheating. <laughs> like all left-handers. Shh, don't tell anyone. Polo, Polo got one thing right, for sure. So the Bowmans, they got you started. And then tell us about We Three Polo Cross, because that, that was a dynasty in its own right. The name got started, but there's the Bowmans. We, it was True Blood, Christina Harris and I, and they had a Polo Cross brand that they started, and they wanted, I guess, a group of young people to represent them, and so they picked... True Blood and Christina Harris and I just to play. That's how I got started. What happened to Paul? Because I thought he started with you. So there's got to be some drama in here. What's going on here, Paul? I'll do everything I can to make this juicy play. <laughs> um, I'll do everything. I'm crying inside. But dude, I was a late bloomer. And I also kept that, like, Ryan True Blood was already on a big horse. And then he got, like, a nice big horse. Ryan Strider got, I mean, it was apparent this is what he was going to do. And so he got, like, a pretty sweet little polo pony from virginia like old 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 polo pony. what was that horse's name oh, jet yeah jet yeah i can't remember her written name but yeah we renamed her jet after we bought her i still had the same piece of crap pony i started with. i thought we worked a deal where you were gonna get one of them and i was gonna get one of them it never panned out dude it's there was life Argentina it's like, polo that's probably that's probably why i never met my pinnacle another reason <laughs> you know paul uh, held this against you for like 20 years now, and it's finally coming out, finally coming thanks out. to this podcast. Oh, man. 
Yeah, on my hit list for sure. 100%. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay, so um, True, True Blood's on Lady. Ryan's on this other. What's the horse's name? Jet. Yeah. So I wasn't the, on Lady yet. I think I might have been on that big chestnut. Horse. I think I was on Amber. Was her name? Okay. At that time. Yeah. Yeah, the Palomino. So what was that like for those? I feel like all of you started in Pony Club, right? Was there a transition where you've been playing in Pony Club like me, and then you went and started playing in the APA? Because I don't know if you heard those stories from Billy and Robbie, and I had gloves and an ugly helmet and all this stuff. I would look like an alien to them. So what was it like going from Pony Club to APA? Well, for me, I did all Pony Club polo cross until... We met a guy by the name of Robbie Noyles, who lived in Colorado, went out to his place for a month or so, trained a couple of horses, and we went and played in Santa Fe, New Mexico Nationals in B grade. And that was my debut for APA, from what I remember. Who was on that trip with you? Both Paul and Strider, the three amigos. So did that toughen you up a little bit? I know you were a bit soft to start. Yeah, I was trying to be just like you. I told you, you were my role model. <laughs> I mean, tell me about that, Paul Strider, True Blood. Tell me something about that trip. Well, I remember Robbie Noyles to horses. He bought several, four or five horses off the auction block. We pretty much had to get them ready to play at Nationals. I think I lucked out the most with, the, with that little Palomino, another pony, little Palomino pony that we called Corona. Turned out to be a really good horse. I think he actually sold that horse at Nationals. Um, but yeah, awesome little horse. I think Paul either got bucked off. That I didn't horse get or... bucked off. I, he did buck with And that was like my first time where I just, I think that's when I really felt like I had some balls, you know, because I didn't get bucked <laughs> off. Yeah, I was riding him. Yeah, we were probably doing ragged practice. And he, I don't know what I did. Probably dug his fur into him because I was an idiot. He started bucking. And luckily, my first time in a Brock Lynch saddle. And I didn't fall off because you really can't fall out of the Brock Lynch saddle. Do you guys remember one of the horses died? Yeah, dead in the field one morning. Yeah. Like a weekend. Yeah. How did you guys handle death? Uh, we took it up the mountain and left it up there for the bears to eat, I think, was about how it went. Yeah. I mean, how old were you at this point when you went to Robbie's? I, was, I don't think. Could any 12. of us drive? No, no I was 12. You would have been, you guys would have been 15. So I remember there was a cute little girl down at the gas station. We all worked at the gas station during the week. We took turns. I remember Paul had a little crush on her. Yeah, dude. That was just something Robbie Knowles made up, but it got us all pretty excited. Paul may have been 12, but he looked like he was about 21. So (laughs) he probably had the best chance out of all of us. Yeah, no, no, I just. That's right. I turned 13 at the uh, What year was that Nationals? 2001. So go, all right, so this is coming together. So first tournament, 2000. You're on Little Ponies, but you won B grade, which is crazy to go from nothing to B grade, from being rejected to winning that tournament. If only they knew how talented you were, that you didn't even need horses. Because we have to picture Ryan Strider on a pony. How tall are you? Well, then I, I wasn't that tall then. I was probably you know, 5'10". Five eight. <laughs> yeah, but you're still tall for your age. How tall were you, Paul? I wasn't as tall as Ryan, and I was a bit of a, a chunk at that point, a bit of a chubby kid. But yeah, I mean, we we were definitely too big for the pony. I mean, I think that was clear. So that was an advantage, apparently. 
right? Because you could pick up anything. The pony always gets the advantage when there's uh, pushing and stuff. It always looks like you're being attacked when there's a bigger horse, right? So you were trying to play that to your advantage? Yeah, we were pulling on their heartstrings and everything. That's totally <laughs> so your parents trusted you enough to go out to Colorado for several months with Robbie Noyles. Got out there, and then you stayed there until you played nationals in 2001. Santa Fe Nationals. Okay, Santa Fe Nationals. Yeah, I was there. We down from Colorado to Santa Fe. I was yeah, there. I'm pretty sure yep. you didn't win that one, dude. Sorry, Matthew. I know that was a hard one for you. <laughs> yeah. You were playing Ranch then. We were picked to win it, but we failed utterly. It was terrible. The Snowmass win? Yeah, thanks. Speaking of someone in their underwear, that's where I saw David Furman bathe in a rubber feed tub. Not a big one either. That's where he bathed. He, dude, that's every day for him. That wasn't just like because he was at a tournament. He's that's a how legend. he lives. He's a legend. That's how he lives. I can't wait to interview him and his son. Oh, you think you have problems with us with Zoom? Wait till you try to get David Furman to operate a computer with Zoom. Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> when was your first trip to Australia? When was that youth exchange? Were you all on that same team? Not me. All right. Who was your coach um, and manager? So Robbie Shuttles was our coach. <laughs> Uh-oh. And your, your mom was there <laughs> for some of it. Dylan was supposedly the manager. Yeah, we talked about this in the Joy podcast, how my mom abandoned the team. She did Just, Better service to the U.S., I think, by bringing Zorro back. Because now I can't count how many Zorro babies are playing in A-grade, but there's there's quite a few. Yeah, so there was a plan, even though they rudely interrupted Terry Blake's speech, Gene and my mom. just So that was Darwin but, Nationals. But, you know, everybody's kind of skipped over. You know, Robbie did a little disappearing act the first night of Darwin Nationals also. Oh, was he a member of that I, I fan club? He was. Okay, let's talk about this. But but he turned up the next morning in the back of a ute, no problem. He was there. He was there for us. <laughs> you were just there to watch anyways, right? You weren't playing at the Darwin Nationals, were you? Correct. So how was that? That must have been a shock, your your first Australian tournament to watch, right? What a turnout. Amazing. Way, way more than I would have ever imagined. Acres and acres of trailers and everybody living there and, and having their own little campsite set up, bringing washing machines, washing clothes out of the back of their trucks. is pretty crazy, different than anything I've ever seen. I remember um, just kind of wondering what, what country, what, you know, where do we go? <laughs> we started in Maryland. We flew 30 minutes up to Pennsylvania to get on a flight with your mom. And then we flew from Pennsylvania all the way to LA. And I got to hear all about Zorro and this stallion that she was excited about. And I still remember that. And then uh, we waited in LA for probably, I don't know, four or six hours because we had to take the night flight. That's where we so, met up with the rest of the team. And then we stayed up in Sydney for like, yeah, we met most of the team in LA. Flew to Sydney. We're in Sydney for eight, 10 hours walking around, seeing everything, getting meat pies. That was a uh, first thing we had to do, according to Robbie, was get a meat pie. And, oh, yeah. Uh, what kind of meat yeah. pie? Do you remember think, your first? I think it was just minced beef and cheese. This is a rite of passage. Did you burn your mouth? I, I burned my mouth. <laughs> Endless meat pies. Yeah, they're, they're pretty hot. It's kind of like a hot pocket. Yeah, you just can't wait long enough. Yeah, so we were there for eight to ten hours. Then we got on a flight straight from there. Keep in mind, we haven't slept this whole time. Flew to Darwin. I remember I passed out next to um, Daniel Harris, one of our team members from Colorado, and uh, didn't even feel the landing. He had to shake me to wake me up, and then passed out on the drive from there to kind of the first house we stayed in. Woke up the next morning, had no idea where I was, and then we drove into Nationals. And so we were all jet-lagged, no sleep. 
and then show up at Darwin Nationals, and that's the first thing you see, kind of all delirious. It was so after Nationals, we drove back um, the Hunter Valley. Yeah, we stopped and, at a few places on the way back. I remember we went in some huge like river trip through some huge canyons. That's, yeah, that's where we we all met up with our host families in Darwin at Nationals and drove back cross country back to the Hunter Valley with our host families. Paul, were you on a different exchange? Or you, did you go to Australia? I wasn't on any exchanges. Yeah, tell me about your first trip. I met, there was an inbound, when I was in high school, I guess it was like between my junior and senior year of high school, there was an inbound for, I want to say U16s. Anyways, their manager was Peter Kesby. He had already been over and stayed at the Striders and everything. Two of his kids played. Yeah, and so I met him up in Wyoming, the tournament there. He invited me to, to come work for him. He used big quotation marks on work. I mean, I rode horses for him, which was fun. We played every weekend down uh, in Maitland. It was great. Pretty amazing. But, yeah, it was interesting not going as part of a tour. I never was on a tour, so I don't really know what the difference would be. But a lot of freedom. Probably did a lot of bad stuff. <laughs> then just playing with the club as opposed to going in and having your coach like, tell you where to go. It was just wherever – I ended up getting placed. Started off in like E grade and lost. Played with this uh, New Zealand kid that worked for Peter too. Then eventually I climbed my way. The, the pinnacle of my career in Australia was it was a really small tournament. I forget where. Somewhere in like Western New South Wales. I got to play on the B mixed team. My section was Mitch Anderson. So like Lance's brother. Oh, yeah, Lance or Mitch would be about my age. I mean, even then, he was incredible. We did okay, and it was a lot of fun, but that was just crazy. I mean, that was my best day. Back in 98, I played on a under-21 team that played against the Maitland under-16 team, and Chris Anderson was on that team just whooping us. We got to play uh, in the tournament with the Maitland club. We had a test match, but we also played with the club. So all of you experienced that, right? Maybe at least one tournament with the club? Yeah, so we played against Maitland. And Mitch. I remember Mitch Anderson was the other number one. I was the number one. He was number one. Again, you're number one? What's the deal? Were you getting pigeonholed? Or At that time, I was. Yeah. That's all I knew. But it's, it's a shock, right? You go there, no matter what level you're playing, and, and the horses are just flying around. You're, you're like in slow motion. So what was it like riding your first Australian stock horse? All of you. To, for me, that's all it was, was a ride because I didn't have to tell them what to do. You just hung on and tried to catch the ball and put it through the post. They did everything for you. They took you to the ball. They marked up. They did everything. When you thought you needed to go the other direction, they were already gone. You just right. kept your butt in the saddle and hung on. To me, it felt like I was being run away with. So I had to actually lighten up my hands, right? Because the horse was doing its job and I was getting in the way. Did you guys feel that at all? Were you more comfortable than I was? I never felt like I was getting run away with. The owner definitely told me that the horse has more. You can ride the horse harder. You can push the horse harder. I guess I was just being too soft. So I stayed with the Kesbys and I had Bushfire was one of the ponies I rode. And then Blue Max was another gray horse that was was phenomenal. That's how I played the first carnival. It was also a cow horse. So whenever you're trying to mark up people and get the ball, you pretty much didn't have to ride. You just focused on trying to swing. And that horse would always just keep you right there. It was, it was pretty unbelievable. Uh, coming like from games ponies, you know, yeah. they you pretty much have to ride them everywhere. I've never had a horse that in, you know intuitively kind of understood the game and, and would kind of put you in the right spot without you really having to ride them so that was that was different yeah it sounds like paul rode some of those same horses yeah i think bushfire might have 
getting going by the time I got there. But it was interesting for me because Peter had some pretty amazing horses in general. And I ended up riding. He had a sweet little horse out of um, – there's a stallion right there in Maitland. It was the, the that horse's, I think, like first tournament that he played him on. And he was incredible. Even like his first tournament, he just knew everything. But, yeah, they're really cowy and really sticky. What's up, Soren? <laughs> oh, he sees you. Soren, did you get a pony yet? Soren, where's your pony? He had a pony. I want to know, are you going to let him throw overhand for the first 10 years of his life? I throw overhand. Yeah, but that's not how we were raised. Right? Yeah, you know, you're going to teach him. You know, Murphy's big into this. I mean, I know Murphy's thinking about how he's going to raise his kid with the rack. And it's, you know, it's going to be strict, old school, Aussie, yes. underhand only, yes. like 10-foot passes at the most. Really, Accurate you just want to take the ball and put it in the other person's racket, 100%. He's all about percentage. Murphy's problem teaching his kid, he'll never be able to teach him when to swing. The only time Murphy will swing at you is when you put your racket back. Yeah. Just keep it in front and he'll never swing at you. I'm telling you on that. I do want to make it clear that while – Ryan and Ryan surpassed me early on in the polo cross. The drinking thing, I have always been better than that. I remember yeah, I had I my drink at your house. Well, I was 15. I had to quit drinking. I was just getting too hard into it. <laughs> uh, they had a they had like a note card at the parties. With like yeah, so just to make sure we didn't get too crazy and black out and drink too much, right. me and a friend of mine, Peter, documented every drink we had, what it was, what percentage it was. We like kept tabs. Are you still okay? I'm okay. Okay, should we do another? Let's do another. And was uh, that before uh, you ran into the car or after? Physically ran running into a car? Or was yes, that I was a senior by that time. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So as an engineer, you got your in your mind you're like, we have to document the drinking that's going on. So whose house were you at? We we're at Paul's house. Now, I'm saying Paul's house, you were pretty much at this huge plantation, right? You had like endless- We don't say plantation anymore, dude. The That's so racist. Culture, we, don't, racist. we don't say plantation. Don't ever say that again. I don't need like, you know, <laughs> it's just a farm, an agricultural facility. You were partying. Ryan's first drink was at your farm that your dad yeah. worked on, that you lived on. It was just a huge playground, sort of like the farm I grew up on, but yours was bigger and better. And it was on the water. And Ryan's first drink happened there. What about you, True Blood? I want to say it was polo cross related. Maybe with now Stephanie Shuttles before Billy was in the picture. Long time ago. Super long time ago. Probably Adrian Gill was there. And who else would have been there? Strider? Oh, yeah. That was at Strider's house. Lauren Ellis, maybe. Paul was Steph probably 10 years younger than us, but he was out drinking us. Probably. That was definitely at Strider's house. Did the parents know that you were drinking at your house, Ryan? Because it seems like they would have been stricter. Yeah, absolutely not. We were out in the tack room cleaning our tack for the, for the next <laughs> day. And, uh, I, I just want to bring up the story of how your parents didn't know we had a party in the basement. And when your dad came down to tell us to turn the music down, Paul ran from the kitchen, knocking every shot glass off the counter onto the tile floor, shattering them everywhere. You were taking Mike's Hard Lemonade from a beer bong. <laughs> and, and, then, and, and that was before I threw throw up, up chocolate ice cream. Hours later, Mike's Hard Lemonade. Explain what a beer bong is, because I don't think everyone knows this. Australians will know what a billabong is, but you might want to explain what a beer bong it's a drinking aid it's a funnel with a long hose that uses gravity to accelerate the alcohol into your system 
you simply just open your throat and the force of gravity will quickly drain the entire bottle or can or whatever is in the funnel fluid into your stomach. So in this it, case, it might have been the whole six pack of Mike's Hard at once. I'm pretty sure it was one. Is it based on the size of your esophageal sphincter? How many stories makes it too dangerous to do a beer bong? Like how high up would you have to be where it's you can die? I don't know. What does Doc say? That's what I want to know. Whatever the, like too dangerous is, Doc says. <laughs> this was... Y'all growing up, you had this ton of property, you were having fun, you were being kids, just being like any other kids out there, drinking the alcohol, getting crazy, maybe too much alcohol. Your innocence was basically gone at that point, right? I wouldn't say innocence, gone. I mean, that's pretty pretty serious, Murphy. I, mean, I think we were still pretty good kids. We may have had yeah, a little, I mean, we were, little beverage I mean, at the end of the, there. Dude, at the end of the day, like, I was still wearing britches on like a pretty regular basis. <laughs> Brian wore Jodhpurs like every day. So. Strider, explain why you wore Jodhpurs. There's some background here because you were involved in other equestrian sports, right? Yeah, so I played games. Right. And the, the go-to attire for games was Jodhpurs and Jodhpur boots. And they're very freeing. You could pretty much move however you needed to you, know, you put boots on they start to kind of constrain you a little bit i was also very reluctant to move into an aussie saddle for the same reason i you know, felt like it was kind of locked you in and you lost that mobility that's gonna be very controversial now that you said that might, might i add the first time we went to australia on an under 16 team we were still in english saddles yeah before anyone made the financial decision to invest in a stock saddle right yeah, I don't Go. think I, I rode in a stock saddle until I went over for IYEP. That was my first experience in a stock saddle. Mine as well. And I, I didn't actually get a stock saddle until like 2007. I remember I bought one shortly before the World Cup. It was a $50 Australian saddle, and I went over there and Joyce said, you cannot ride in this. <laughs> <laughs> so in 2000, I stayed at Joyce's place, and I had – an Australian stock saddle made with fenders. And it was brand new. It was shipped to Joy. I oiled that puppy up, took it to the first tournament in Sydney, and all the leather stretched, and my saddle fell off in that first chukka. <laughs> <laughs> and then I realized I can't ride in a fender. Like, my legs were just out of control. It ended up being my dad's saddle. Very nice saddle, Australian stockman saddler up in Queensland. My favorite saddle is the overseer that I have that was – customized for me at the 2003 World Cup. Still have it today. You guys all ride in stirrup saddles. I think I'm the only one that rides in the fender saddle. I think my next saddle is going to be a fender. Where are you going to get it though? So it's like a South African style saddle that Prissy's kind of heading up. They're getting made in Mexico and they're a pretty good saddle but a lot cheaper than the overseer. Kind of like the underseer. So Paul went out there. He became a cowboy and stayed a cowboy. You guys did not. Yeah, no, Ryan's the only one that lives in Texas. Home. Doesn't make him a cowboy. Yeah. Yeah, I stayed out. You know, the one cool thing. You went to school out there. Yeah, yeah. So when we were there in 2001, it was pretty wild. This huge stock trailer with a semi pro in it, or like a, it said Fountain Valley School on the side. And there was like 20 kids from this high school playing polo cross in Santa Fe. Locke Clark was kind of running the school at the time. And I was like, dang, that is cool. So I went I went back out the next summer and got Got to kind of become friends with Locke and actually played with him a bit. Went to school one more year in Maryland, and then I decided I had to get out of Maryland. It's just kind of cool for me that essentially polo cross guided that whole path of my life. I think that Ryan could say the same thing. Ryan Strider could say the same thing about where he ended up. Christ. Yeah, so 
I went to I SMU, mean, kind of following your footsteps. <laughs> and then, yeah. and then he followed up by marrying part of the Polo Cross dynasty. Not talking earlier about how we both stayed at the Kesbys. Well, I found out Tessa stayed at the Kesbys when she went to Australia. Stayed in the same room, same bed, rode the same horse. <laughs> Paul, why did you say you had to leave Maryland? Yeah, I guess I wanted to be like some sort of cowboy. Okay. Um, found your people. Where Ryan and I are from, it's, um, I mean, I live down here now, so I guess I can say it. it's myopic sometimes, I guess, might be the word. It's pretty rural still. Yeah, I need to get out. And But like I said, by then, you know, I had to sober up when I was 15, so <laughs> it was important for my health. I wanted yeah. to play football. So polo cross really led, you know, led where you guys ended up. And uh, let's, let's talk about the eyebrow incident because I don't think you realize that eyebrows don't grow back. So let's they hear that. Let's hear that story. Well, since I'm the victim here, I think it's important that I get to tell my side of the story. Ryan, Ryan, and I would travel together polo cross tournaments. These guys, you know, they're jackasses. And so <laughs> there I was. You know, we're all in the the, the gooseneck of the Strider's trailer. Pretty amazing that Mike Strider let us do that. Let's be honest. We drove like four hours in the gooseneck of a trailer. I fall asleep with these so-called friends of mine. And (laughs) there I was. And I wake up. And I really didn't know. I mean, they were kind of like, you know, giggly. But I was like, oh, these assholes. Moving on. We get our horses jumped out. Probably late. I'm like going. It might even been the next day. I was like feeling (laughs) face. And I was like, what? going on and I was like that feels so weird and I look in the mirror and from here over was gone half of your left eyebrow yeah because this one's still normal this one's got a hook in it now (laughs) now granted that that maybe that was going to come anyways someday I'll get them back someday did they not know it wouldn't grow back I mean, you guys were young and dumb, but let's hear your side of it. Did he deserve it? I do remember there was some pranking ahead of that. It definitely escalated with Clippers when it became Paul's turn to be pranked. I think I was the victim of some shaving cream in my hand or something when I fell asleep. And then they tickled my face, hoping I would slap my face with some shaving cream. I don't remember the outcome of that. I don't know that it it worked out like they planned. So it sounds like you were retaliating from previous bullying. Yeah, I'd say say so. Definitely uh, several pranks between the three of us. I still remember at that first... Santa Fe Nationals when we were, Paul did something to True Blood, and then True Blood did something to Paul, and Paul started chasing True Blood, and he ran past me, and I kicked his heel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Next thing I know, his face was the first thing to hit the ground. Yeah. <laughs> Luckily, it was the Santa Fe Polo Grounds. And I hit the grass, which is basically like carpet anyways. And it wasn't so traumatic for me. But yeah, I mean, it's things I talk about in therapy a lot. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Paul, every time I see you, I feel bad about your eyebrow. Yeah, I know. That's all right. I still got a hot wife, so I'm cool. I always wonder why Paul kind of turned his face when he talks to you. Like, he just turns a little bit, like, towards a good eyebrow. (laughs) Sounds like you guys had a blast. Were there any other coming-of-age stories that you want to tell back in the day? There's plenty not to tell. All right, we have a fan question here. Ryan Strider, Raul Desai from Greensboro, North Carolina asks, have you ever passed out in a dumpster? And if so, will you tell the story? I don't think it was in a dumpster. It was maybe close to a dumpster. Where was this? This was in North Carolina. I recall passing out next to some <laughs> horse manure at the end of a trailer. Oh, yeah. I can't remember if I was, I think I was there. 
I can't remember if I was playing or if I was an umpire, you know, dedicated umpire. I do remember drinking tons of blue Gatorade the next morning to get ready and then uh, expelling that Gatorade on the field. But I showed up on time and played. I think that's a lot more than the kids these days would, would be able to say. So I think the confusion there, I think the dumpster confusion, I believe at that time they put the manure in a dumpster style container and Strider may, his face may have been with some manure on it by the next morning. I heard that there were gnats and biting your eyes, that you had swollen eyes. <laughs> <laughs> so lesson, lesson learned, we all make mistakes. He still made his time for umpiring. None of us are perfect. We've all had moments like this. But was he preparing himself to prepare at his highest level? Probably not, right? I was preparing myself for life. You know, you, you go through troubled times and you got to still get up and face the next morning. Face, no pun intended. Actually, pun intended. Were you there, True Blood? I was there. I was there. I was there. I believe, Ryan, could that have been right after the World Cup? Was that then? 2008? Or was that before that? I honestly don't know. You know, I, I can guarantee I was there. I do remember it vaguely. You know, Ryan and I, especially since Paul all through high school was in Colorado, Ryan and I played together in pretty much almost every tournament when Ryan was still living in Maryland. I'm trying to remember who your third player would have been. Uh, um, I think our third person was always just a toss-up. It was like short end of the stick had to play with you guys? Or did you choose your third player very carefully? I mean, I think it was just... Whoever was left, wasn't it, Ryan? I don't remember any drama in picking teams. I feel like it wasn't until I got older that now I feel like there's a lot of drama in making teams and people get left out. I don't remember any of that growing up. I feel like we were all just kind of happy to play wherever. We just kind of. I agree. I agree with that. I think it, it helped us that we were always playing together. I think we never really cared who our third person was. Like it wasn't ever upsetting to find out who it was. It was. Always just okay. Like, we were ready to play. Let's talk about the year 2007. There was a significant event for the two Ryans and the third Ryan here on the call. I was honored to play with you guys at the World Cup in 2007. One of the two years that we ended up seventh. What are your fondest memories of that event besides the disappointment? Making the team was pretty exciting. The camp in uh, Camp Stewart. Getting ready for it was, was a lot of fun. The draw for the horses was pretty exciting. And then after that, I think it's all pretty much downhill. <laughs> I had one shining moment back at our hotel. We were playing some games out in the parking lot. There may have been some beer involved. I may have hit myself in the face on camera, <laughs> but we'll let the audience look that up themselves. We had a lot of fun at that event. That was a lot of fun. We learned a lot. It was a really cool thing because I wanted you guys to be on my team. I wanted you to join the World Cup, and it happened. And it was just a great, fun thing to be a part of, no matter the end result. I remember playing against Canada. I, took, I was two, or Robbie was the one. I threw him the ball while he was on the 30-yard line going to the area. And I still remember his face to this day, flaring me down, thinking, what are you doing? What is Robbie's face like? Because I've seen it a lot. It's like a crooked, it's like a... Ryan! Yeah, it's scary. It actually made me a better player growing up, having the Robbie stare. It's a crooked, uh, like... He gets, a, he gets a bit of a screech to his voice when he says your name. Come on, Murphy! <laughs> what are you doing? I see Erica in the background. No, is she Zoom bombing me? She is. Oh, God. 
<laughs> Paul, what was going on with you around 2007? You were at Fountain Valley? You were living in Colorado, right? Yeah, I was up, I was up at CSU. That was, I wanted to be a cowboy. I had a really short, not so glorious rodeo career. <laughs> What's uh, the story about that? Yeah, I went to Australia in 2006, like between high school and college. Got out, then uh, I went up to Fort Collins for college. I was like, oh, they have a rodeo team. Like, this is my dream because I rode that horse. <laughs> down at Robbie's, Corona, I was like, I am obviously suited to be a saddlebone guy. And I, years, there used to be a guy that brought mules to polo cross tournaments. Not the late Mr. Gosh, but in Colorado, there was a guy who'd bring mules and he played on them. And he actually did pretty good. And he brought one that fucked just crazy. I rode that one and that was a lot of fun. I was certain I was going to be a world champion in Southbound. There was really no other. I was at college and borrowed a saddle from a guy and oh, borrowed some, some chaps from a guy and put slits in the back of my boot. You know, that's what you're supposed to do so you don't get hung up in things. But I took my cowboy boots and I, I cut a slit in the back of them so that you can fall out of them real easy. You get hung up. You know, like I don't get it. Kids are doing. I don't understand. Oh, okay. So you got regular cowboy boots, right? Yeah. And so you try to pull off a regular cowboy boot. It's kind of difficult, right? Like you have to put some effort in. And so if your foot gets hung up in a stirrup, you're stuck. I like kind of halfway put this together. So by then I'd gotten on like five buckets, mediocre at best, on a good, mediocre for like a beginner. Because it's not the same as riding a horse that bucks. It's just like, there's an art to it. I didn't have it. I was way too tall to do it. It didn't really work. I was up. I'd just taken finals my freshman year. I had sent in my check to get, like, my Colorado Rodeo Association car so that I could go to these rodeos because that was my – I was going to do that this summer. It was literally – Two days after I take finals, I get on my first horse. We're like this practice and way up in the mountains. I get on my first horse. I rode it. I didn't do a very good job, but I rode it, you know, for an acceptable amount of time. No big deal. And the guy, he was like, oh, yeah, this one, he knew that I was an idiot and I had no idea what I was doing. So he's like, this horse will be really good for you. You'll be great. And this thing comes out. It's got like a sway back, like gray face uh, in its oldest sin. Did it have a crazy like, eye? No, this horse, your kid could ride it. I get out of the chute and they swing the gate and the horse like takes one step and just falls over and crushes <laughs> my leg <laughs> and i don't remember i like didn't look at my leg but i remember being in excruciating amount of pain and the guy i was with was like he gets off and he like pulls up my jean leg and he's like oh crap <laughs> <laughs> and like, oh god what does that mean yeah so i broke it so i went, had surgery done on that a few your days tibi later. your tibia yeah i broke my tibia and my fibula that was the end of my rodeo career that was the start of your rodeo career what are you talking about yeah right it's all in the same day <laughs> start finish and i'm so lucky it happened i'm so lucky that i did because you know it was the dumbest idea i ever had what was i I want to hear what the dumbest things are that you've done on horses. Strider, have you done steeplechase? Never over fences. You were a... Strider was a champion pony racer. Yeah. He was a, he was a BFD. I didn't win. It's kind of pressure. I borrowed a horse from a farm that raised and trained racehorses. They asked me to come and ride one of the horses in a you know junior race. And I saw I was all gung-ho a whole night ahead of time, kind of going through the plan, what I'm going to do. And they kept saying, you know, stay right behind that lead horse and then last turn you know make your your run for it well it's me and one other horse and so literally the entire race <laughs> it was a match race very, very last turn i like got out to go around and i my horse had nothing so it was like sea so, biscuit but without the good ending yeah i just 
rode right behind this person the whole way around, and that's how the race started and finished. It was uh... speaking of steeplechase, the Ryan's and I were in Clumnell 2006 on a men's tour. Phenomenal trip. Oh my god. That tour was amazing. And that was your birthday. Remember that? Your 20 My 21st birthday. birthday. Clomnell, wow. Ireland. That was a dream tour. Never duplicate what we did there. That was just a phenomenal trip. Ryan Strider for his 21st birthday. Got a little bit hammered at the races. Passed out. Found a second wind. Did it all over again at the beer garden in Clumnell. We were being talked up by some IRA girls. Do you remember that at all, guys? I remember a race vaguely. I remember a lot of drinking. I remember Strider got a black eye. Whoa. I think that was from Chris Pickens. We were playing Donkey. He swung and hit me in the face with his racket. What did you say to him to incite him? He's a gentle soul. I don't understand that. I think he felt pretty bad. No hard feelings. As Ryan's in Ireland, that was just, we, we came, we saw, we conquered. I won't say anything more. The history books have already written our story there. As a Murphy, I was royalty because Murphy is the most popular name in Ireland, and I'm a Murphy. That was pretty cool. This comes from Ryan Strider's niece, Aaron. She asked this question. What's the dumbest? I don't know. I think I was kind of always the play it safe on a horse guy. I don't know that I ever actually did anything stupid or crazy. That's the right answer. Maybe playing a draft horse in polo cross. Does anyone remember uh, Joey Venny? We have to have a, a sip tip for Joey. Cheers to Joey. Great friend of ours that we've lost. Does anyone remember when I was standing by a campfire at Camp Stewart and Joey Venny just out Level. of nowhere leveled me yeah i also remember the time you tried to fish hook him and he bit your finger so hard that your nail like fell off didn't it yeah i still don't have a nail you totally deserved it you deserved it 100 percent. if you can control someone's head control their body so that was the strategy little did i know that he would actually bite my finger so hard my nail would eventually fall off okay so you guys remember that did anyone actually see that live i was talking to you you were there one second, you were gone the next. In a little circle. <laughs> yeah, it was probably five, ten feet, somewhere in there that you just... <laughs> were any of you involved with saran wrap incident? With Joey and Derek Rummel? Yeah, someone was, was saran wrapped to a tree at Waldemar, I believe. So I think they initiated. They saran, saran wrapped my truck in the door handle so I wouldn't be able to get in. Truba and I retaliated, I think, and saran wrapped them. I don't know if we caught Derek. I think he climbed up the tennis court's uh, fence at Waldemar. I think we saran wrapped Joey to a tree. (laughs) (laughs) You remember that, Truba? I don't. I can't believe I don't remember that. The last thing I really remember involving your truck, I want to say this was at Camp Stewart right down the street, ghost riding the whip and getting kicked in the back of the head. (laughs) Let me pause you there. This comes from fan of the podcast, Roxanne Trueblood. He says, of course, you already know about Ryan hitting himself in the face with the polo cross stick. I would guess most juicy, funny stuff was kept from the parent. You can ask Strider and Trueblood about dancing to bump the ride and jumping in car at rally. They got in a little trouble. And then she said, it's not bump the ride. It was ghost ride the bump. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like it's ghost ride the whip, right? Yeah, it's definitely ghost ride the whip. What was that called? Called ghost riding. It's called ghost riding. Explain ghost riding. Paul, do you remember this? Ghost riding? No, either I was gone or I was too young to understand. So you were a secular, you were a secular Fountain Valley person. Okay, 
it, tell this it, story. You know, it's, it's pretty simple. You you turn the song on, goes ride your whip. You put the car in drive and get out and let it coast forward while you dance beside it is basically the gist of it. You do this on purpose. Of course. That's, that's absolutely. Right. I mean, I do that on accident all the time, but never. <laughs> Strider and I played together, played pole cross together for so many years. It was one of those things. I didn't have to look at him. He didn't have to look at me. We just knew where each other were on the field all the time. And I felt like I just trusted him. I just knew where he was. Well, while we were ghost riding, I felt that same security and trust in Strider. And I thought it was a great idea to jump from the passenger side through the door out the driver's side door, Strider having to think it was a great idea to climb up onto the truck while it's rolling, of course. I was already on the roof, if I recall, and I just see you jump into the cab. So I'm like, oh, I guess we're done. Something, I must have to stop the truck. So I dive off the, you know, kind of do like a round off off the roof of the truck. Meanwhile, you're coming out head first out of the cab. <laughs> my feet just slammed in the back of your head. <laughs> <laughs> and you hit the ground, and I jumped in and slammed on the brakes so I didn't run over you. <laughs> I think that was our greatest moment. You got in trouble for that? Because that's not. Well, we were trying to show off for the crowd. We were at a tournament, and there was a bunch of people looking, so we thought, hey, let's ghost ride it for all these people. Everybody loved it. You know, the East Coast kids in their job first. So Strider's got his third wine cooler, right? We just talked about uh, ghost riding the whip at a tournament and how you got in trouble for that. I believe there's another incident at Gordon Duff's place. Let's talk about that real yes. quick. Let's just get all this stuff out because I feel like it's a therapy session. We all make mistakes that, that night. So that was the Will worst thing. Egging me on for that one. I don't think I was egging you on. I was an innocent bystander. Uh, that's not how I recall. I just started working. I had a job. I had some money. I bought a sweet Toyota Corolla Sport model with a bin <laughs> on the back. Well, I thought I was pretty cool. I was about the time the Tokyo Drift, Fast and the Furious Tokyo Drift film came out. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we were at Polo Cross, a bunch of us in there jamming out to, I don't know, maybe Ghost Ride the Whip or, or something, and decided in this hay pasture that was nice and mowed and slick to start doing some donuts, pulling the e-brake, drive back to the campfire afterwards. And after being out there doing donuts in plain sight, and I see Gordon Duff just marching towards the car. I couldn't put it in reverse fast enough he ripped open the door pulled me out by my shirt <laughs> i just remember that. i'm sorry i'm sorry i'm sorry yeah you yeah, ruined the no. crop for you ruined the crop for that year that's the thing about texas is it's uh, either a drought or a flood and you probably caught him in a drought year gordon is one of our good friends from zimbabwe we were at a world cup prep weekend right for 2007 so that was just poor decisions all around while we're talking about, you know, Texas decisions and bad decisions and good decisions and great times, ultimately, all these great times, let's give a shout out to an all-time great supporter to the sport, Tito, Tito's Vodka, yeah, always got, supporting Polo Cross. I've got a couple of bottles inside of the Tito's, six times distilled. We're right here in Austin. Yep. So do they owe us money after the podcast? How does that work? Oh, they can write a check to Ryan Trueblood. I'll send they're, you the address at the end of this podcast. They're too big. They don't care about our little podcast here. <laughs> we have a couple fan questions for Ryan Strider by your father, Mike Strider Sr. Before I get into his last two questions, I want you to make the sound that he makes when he's excited. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that sound since 
since I met Ryan Strider. Where does that come from? That's been his cheer as long as I can remember. From my other siblings. Well, Arlene Strider used to friggin' videotape every one of Ryan's games. Every one of those games is litter. So the one thing I will tell, that is pretty badass, that he was an OBGYN and he was like, screw these women having babies, I'm gonna go watch my son play polo cross. <laughs> every single one of those videos was littered with him doing that damn cheer. Every oh, single one. Oh, oh. Yeah. And it, it hasn't died, he does that. He does that still today. You listen to him watch his granddaughters. He does the same crap. My dad videoed pretty much every tournament I was in up until at least the time Ryan and I were going on our own for as long as I can remember. And still in the videos to this day, you hear Mr. Strider with the with the train horn. It's just coming down the track. Has he ever talked about the origin of that sound? Is it an animal? Is it a train? You'll, you'll I mean, have to get him on a podcast. I think it's just his version of the woo or woo. But with a little more emphasis behind it, I don't know. I feel like it's a derivative of like a New Zealand native uh, tribal song or something. Like it's a very intimidating thing, right? When you hear that sound, what happens to you, Strider, when you hear that sound? Well, being his son, it's just it's all embarrassment. I don't know about intimidation. <laughs> <laughs> Are you kidding me? What do you think drove him to be a world cup? That is what drove. Him That's what it was. That's what was in his head. So, Strider, why did you feel safe around crocodiles? You were a bit further from the water from some French tourists that had met a grisly fate. Tell us that crocodile story. So, Trueboy could probably tell. I guess you weren't in the tent, but we set up. This was at Darwin Nationals. We set up tent where they told us to. And uh, nobody told us that just the weekend before uh, there was a crocodile attack there and somebody died. But after a couple of days of sleeping 15 yards from the water, uh, <laughs> we had to move our tent out of that area and, and over where all the other campgrounds were. But we, we kind of found a nice little isolated spot over near the water. We thought it was prime camping grounds. And so we, that's where we set up our tent until later we found out that not the safest spot. Two minutes ago, I just received a question from Emma Strider. Who is Emma Strider? Why do all my family members calling in and asking these ridiculous questions? Are you ready for her question? This is your niece. Yeah. So this is for everyone. What is your thought about professionalizing polo cross? I don't know if that's a word. Work towards where polo is. Sponsored teams and players are paid individuals, professional athletes similar to polo. So what are your thoughts about professionalizing sport of polo cross? I just want to say Ever. this right off the bat. Emma Strider automatically regret me encouraging you to go work for Bernie because you're totally ruined now. You're going to play polo for the rest of your life and now I'll never see on the polo cross field you won't be my vet tech anymore great glad that we're having this conversation now this is just awesome for me there's probably some merit to it there's probably some merit to the fact that if you make it professional it'll grow faster at the same time i think it takes away from the the spirit of polo cross right what it's meant to be which is a family sport it's meant to be for people that were using their horses to work all week long and then they could do something with their families on the weekend you start throwing money into that and it's all lost it's all trash from a philosophical point I, I suppose i'm a bit opposed to it but i would understand if the sport went that way and hopefully there is still a spot for a mediocre player like myself uh, to bring my kids along i think it'd be a good thing i think every professional sport has its amateur version uh, i don't think just because there's a professional avenue out there for the sport that people can't have fun and their whole family can't do it i think there'll still be tournaments that be a full family affair but i think if it was possible to get it to be you know professional sport 
I think it would definitely help the growth of it. I think it's definitely the most exciting and entertaining horse sport out there to watch. Uh, and so I would, I would love to see it on TV and, and be able to kind of spread that to everybody. I feel like right now it's kind of a hidden gem. You know, not a lot of people know what it is. All my friends that I show videos to and have watched World Cup videos think it's awesome. Uh, I just don't know why it hasn't hit yet, why it just hasn't taken off yet for, you know, as far as an entertainment aspect. I think that's where the money comes from. I wouldn't want it to be like polo where there's just, where it's not really a, a fan base sport, where it's more, you know, the fans show up for kind of the entertainment of everybody else. And the polo is kind of just going on in the background and they're not really engaged. Definitely want it to grow to where fans are there to see the sport and not just there for the social gathering. All three of you are father, fairly new fathers. Aaron Schreider asks, what is the best part about being a father? Getting to relive your childhood. There's so many things I kind of live vicariously through him. Shaping Lane. the life of a new person. What does this have to do with polo cross? It has everything to do with polo cross. Trigger. We wouldn't have uh, polo cross without fathers. So. I'd say the best thing about being a father is just coming home and having somebody uh, super excited to see you. And she doesn't even realize that it doesn't matter. You're number one. Well, number two in my case. I'm definitely and Ryan, you are too. So come home and I mean, it doesn't matter how shit of a day you, you come home. Your kid doesn't realize you have shit. They don't care. They're just happy to see you. And it puts everything into perspective. And you can do anything else that's going on, write it off. Doesn't that's To me, that's father. Your child reminds you of the innocent sense of the world and that they're a, a break from being an adult. They're just pretty f- cool. <laughs> At the end of the day, they're just cool. And I was not one that thought, I never, I remember like when we were kids, Emma Strider, so when Ron, so I would hang out, my parents would be like, oh my God, what are we going to do with you, Paul? I'm going to send you to the Striders because they have a son that's going to keep you entertained. It's like, that sounds good. They got a lot of food there. <laughs> I'd go to the Striders. So this must have been, what, Emma just turned 21, right? Yep. Yeah, she did. She just turned 21. I would have been 11 and Ryan would have been 13. And I remember Ryan loved being an uncle. Like, I'd be like, okay, we're going to go and we're going to like play on the four-wheeler and do all sorts of crazy stuff. And Ryan's like, hey, man, it's going to be awesome. We're going to babysit Emma. I was like, what? We're going to babysit? I was not wired that. Ryan was wired that way. I don't know. Probably just had a healthier family life. Ryan was 100% into it right off the bat. So he was just bred to be a father. For me, I knew that I should be a father, and I knew my wife wanted to be it was going to be a great mother, and it was that was the way it was going to go. It wasn't until like Lulu came around. Holy crap! This is really, really, really cool. I think I was just trying that Tom Sawyer trick, telling you how much fun it is to paint the fence, and you'd come over and you'd want to babysit. I don't don't remember it that way. No, like you you could play it off like that. But you were friggin' into it, dude. You love babysitting Emma. I don't even think Carly, yeah, Emma's mom. I don't even think she needed a babysitter. I think she was like, yeah, you can watch Emma if you want. That's cool. And Ryan's like, yeah, I'm on it. Got it, Carly. Paul, you talking about Emma just makes me realize how long three of us have actually known each other and been friends. Even with separation, you know, you went to Colorado, Strider went to Texas. But through all that, I remember the day Emma came home from the hospital. Strider House was gathering place. Everybody was there. We were there. Where were we on the weekend? At the Strider House. I remember Emma coming home. And Emma's 21 now. That means I've known you guys more than 21 years. You talk about a friendship. That's not one. I don't know what one is. Do you think you raised Emma well? 
three of you? Is this like... Um, yeah, yeah, that's how it went down. Ryder so, raised her well, and Paul and I did great on the four-wheeler outside. Ryan must have done a good, or, you know, Ryan Strutter did a good job with Emma. I mean, I was fortunate enough. Emma was looking for something to do, and she she worked for us in my clinic, Bowsler, because she's a Strider. I mean, that's... That's easy, right? Like, you can't go wrong. It was within the first month of her being there. She was like 19 or 20, and she was an essential part of our 20. We knew she was destined for better things than what we had to offer. It was a, it was a shame to see her go, and I miss her. She was she was exceptional help, and she was always super positive. She didn't get that from her uncle, but uh, she was good help. I remember being a kid, Ryan, if you came to visit my house, it was shit because I lived in, like, basically a closet. There was only one bed, and it like, really wasn't conducive once you were a teenage boy to have, like, kid have friends over. It was weird. So I go to Ryan's house, and it was like Arlene and cross between Betty Crocker and uh, <laughs> the Mother Mary. So, anyways, I go up, and Ryan and I are sleeping in matching plaid quilt beds. That matched um, the carpet, also. Yeah. And every fucking ribbon that Ryan ever won was on the wall. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I was like 10 years old and I was like mom I don't understand it Ryan has all these blue ribbons all mine are pink um, I didn't get it it was weird awesome niece Emma asks lol if you could switch to being lefty would you absolutely so, uh, 100% all three of you would be a lefty if you could no I'm not a cheater I'm not a cheater wait Ryan Strider feels like lefty an advantage right I said absolutely Ryan Strider he can pick the ball up off the ground with his hand and he'd be a lefty he would be unstoppable he would be walking on water if he was a lefty right I'd be able to cheat <laughs> not cheating stop <laughs> because you play against righties all the time but righties don't play against lefties all the time. And you can swing from a lot different places as a lefty than you can than when you're playing against a right-handed person. Ryan Strider has been spoken so highly of his teammate, Robbie Shuttles. Robbie Shuttles has claimed him as being uh, the best player in the country. I agree with that. Yeah, that, a long that, time. That, Easy. That may have passed a few years ago with the coming of age of Braxton Hamlin and Megan. No, bullshit. Still Ryan Strider. When did y'all peak? Let's start with Ryan Trueblood. So when was your best? When were you your best at Polo Cross Trueblood? For me, it was 2007 when I went to the World Cup. We came back, played a little bit, and life kind of took me in a different direction. You know, I had to grow up a little bit, and Ryan said earlier, uh, we're going to off my own dime, which changed a lot of things for me. I've never completely gotten out of polo cross. I've always been there, either on a coaching level, something along those lines. After 2007, maybe it was probably the top I ever played, and shortly thereafter, didn't really play seriously anymore after that tournament here or there, and not really riding much and still super into the sport, still definitely care where the sport goes and what happens with the sport. Looking at it from the angle that I look at it from now is totally different than looking at it as a player. When controversial issues come up now, I'm looking at it for the preservation of the sport itself, not how can I get a leg up on my opponent? I peaked in 2012. It was called the fourth place peak in 2011 at the World Cup in Rugby K. And then uh, 2012 made the trip to Zambia. 
played with Leopards Hill, played a test match against the Zambians. That was my peak. 2012, have not played in a practice since then. Since then, last two years, I played five tournaments. I picked 2012, and I'm just old, trying to keep up with the youngins now. Paul, what would you say about number one? When did you peak, and what do you think about the multi-horse format? Kirby, I'm still waiting to peak. <laughs> Hold on. Your racket style just got out of the 90s, right? You just went from an egg and spoon. Yeah, and it... okay. Okay. Well, you can you can dig on the original Bennett racket that I bought from the Bowmans in 2000. But that thing served me really well. I don't know if I ever truly peaked, but I know that I'm obsolete now. Um, <laughs> does, that, does that make sense? It was different being out west just because initially we went out west like that was the reason i went was because that's where stuff was going on with texas and colorado and that's where good polo cross was happening you know i had a good run as far as being out west playing but no i'm, I'm still waiting to peak. i have no faults i know that i will never be ryan keeps up with this new way of polo cross and in my opinion is the still the top in the country just from a holistic standpoint he's not the flashiest guy on the field and sorry when you look at it from like a whole sport perspective horsemanship and everything i mean braxton's amazing robbie shuttles amazing raul's amazing all those guys i came back east and i was like okay i've been missing that ryan you're an og man you're an og has been you're not a has been you're just you're a founding father i don't see how i've, I've seen you play in these last five years you say you've never been to a practice and i feel like you've still got it i don't know how that's possible yeah that uh, helps him he does still have practice a couple days ago and i've been out you know because all this covid nonsense you know we haven't had practice we haven't had any tournaments couldn't pick up a ball i could i, I dropped my racket twice <laughs> yeah, it was it was embarrassing not only did i draw my racket twice my horse stepped in my racket another two times <laughs> So humility is a big part about being a great player. You don't want people to know you're a great player. And being able to pick up your racket without getting off your horse is a true advantage, right? How tall is your good horse right now, Strider? Pretty small. I'd say she's 15, 15 one max. It, is that horse abuse, being on such a small horse? You say I'm fat? <laughs> I don't know. You're, you've got a lot of tall bone going on. Can't hear you, time for a while uh, until Emma stole her. She was probably one of the best horses I've ever ridden, but that probably was horse abuse. True Blood wants to say something. I said just because Strider can run on the ground while he's still over the horse's back does not constitute horse abuse. I feel like he could ghost ride the horse because he could get off, run faster than the horse, and he might pull a few muscles. He got the stride like a gazelle. Strider, I think from the last time I saw Murphy play, what was that, Murphy, last year at Sugarloaf? to seven years ago i feel like he plays the exact same game at the same level which is pretty amazing to think of considering he hasn't played and hasn't practiced and so on and so forth it's like riding a bike for him it's like waking up from a coma everyone's throwing the overarm you don't know what you, what the hell's going on luckily in the states you can get away with just playing the old school style all right here's a classic example of how well ryan Murphy still plays. So at Sugarloaf, the first check out, I dropped my mare and she popped a splint. So it's who's your, what's your Colt's name? Zeke or something? Strider. Zima? What's your Colt? No, Zane? your Colt. Zane. Zane. Right. So Zane's mom, I brought Zane's mom along who's never played polo. And she is average horse at best. <laughs> so I brought her along because I was like, I need to bring an umpire horse because, you know, that's the thing to do. 
Well, anyways, we had this junior cup there. And so there was nobody had a horse. It's like our first chucka out. And so I was like, well, I don't have anything else to do. I got to get on Sister Mo. I'd like throw saddle on Sister Mo. Sister Mo's never played a game before. I don't even know she's really been ridden that much. No, she wasn't at the time. She's She was a little feral. So I get on her and obviously I am completely worthless. Sister Mo won't line up. If horses come at her, she just stops. Like she's totally freaked out. Never touched the ball. We started off with like a three-point lead. So Murphy went, did you go up the front or did Aaron go up the front? It, it, I remember, it doesn't matter. I remember yelling at Aaron because she couldn't, she never practiced, so she couldn't pick up the ball. And I told her to walk to pick up the ball. And she trotted and missed the pickup. And I was like, Aaron, come on. Yeah. Walk. Yeah. But the point of the story is we were like playing in A grade. They were essentially a two-man team. No, they were a two-man team because I was doing nothing. I couldn't do anything. And we like barely lost the game. Barely lost the game. They held the next two chucka, Aaron and Murphy, totally as a two-man team. So, yes, he still got it. Murphy still has it. I want to put that on the record. Murphy still got it. He's a legend, nah. et cetera, et cetera. No, nope, has been. I want to ask this question. Strider and True Blood, you were at my wedding, right? Correct. I'm sorry. Uh, Hold on, hold on. Paul, don't interrupt me. Paul, do not interrupt me. Billy's like, what do we wear at the wedding? What's the attire? And I'm like, wear whatever you want. And I was like, maybe you should wear khakis and a Hawaiian shirt. <laughs> so Strider and Billy show up in Hawaiian shirts with khakis, and they're just you know they're their own breed. And you know, they came to my wedding; it was a phenomenal experience. And Paul, you said I can't go to your wedding. I'm sorry, I just can't do it. What were you doing on the weekend of July 13th, 2019? I was playing polo cross in Colorado. I'm sorry. But in my defense, it was a more baby-friendly event. Lulu was very young. You know, we didn't really have anybody to take care of her. We decided to go to Colorado where she'd come to the polo cross. So I'm sorry, dude. I know. I know. I'm a dickhead. I'm sorry. Now that Murphy's, like, back in the game, right? Because he first started playing polo cross, you know, whatever, two years ago. And he was like, he's like, oh, like, here's Paul. He's old. He's just moved back to the East Coast. Like, he's not really good. Nobody really wants to play with him. So I'm going to play with him. I'm your guy, Murphy. And so now Murphy's back in, in the game. I mean, you saw him down in Texas. He's doing great. But Murphy is really, he's trying to be super diplomatic and be super kind. And so I had to tell him he has a hall pass. You know, when we were going to have nationals, I was like, it's okay. You can have the hall pass. You can go play nationals with whatever girls you want. I'm not going to get jealous. I'm not going to get mad at you. If you want to go play with those Texas boys down there, that's okay. But he, he's holding fast. He's so, holding He's a true Bay Area player. What did I say to that, Paul? You said, no, you had a good point. You said you'd rather lose. <laughs> no, I didn't say what that. What would happen? No, what did you say? Can you tell me? I said that if, if I was going to play with another club, they'd have to take you too. Oh, that's, yeah, that's good. That's good. <laughs> so it's kind of like a gun to their head. It's like a yeah. double-edged sword. Yeah. Yeah. You got to take me, you got to take Paul. Subsequently, which... Ryan and I are looking for four players for internationals. I know Lone Star would never go for that, but I think Carolina would. Man, I don't know. In your careers, what are your favorite positions you've played? I guess I, I would say three. You don't have to work too hard. The game kind of comes to you. You roll out the back of the lineup. You have the first opportunity to the ball. That's pretty easy. If the other team gets the ball, they come right to you. So that's pretty 
Pretty easy. Would you say that you're telling your teammates to go for the ball in the lineup or send it out the back? Everybody's got to go for the ball. I don't tell anybody not to go for the ball. You're not a glory hound three because the glory hounds tend to be number one. All right, Paul, answer the question honestly. Number two, 100%. goes back to my roots of playing in between these two guys. I love playing a number two. I've played a lot of number one in the, probably the last 10 years. I'm not very good at it. Wait, wait, wait. Why aren't you good at it? You know, stop. Are you going to play my racket again? It's not my racket. Yes, Paul, Um, if you go to catch the ball and it flies out of your racket, is that you or the racket? I bought two new rackets, very deep. I've been, no, I love playing number two because you're definitely, you're not in the limelight. You can get so much accomplished. I honestly hate being a number one in the lineup. Playing against Ryan and Ryan, like just screwing around on the ground when we were kids, they were always faster at the racket, right? And I mean, even to today, like Ryan Trueblood probably hasn't picked up a racket. And I still think that he could snag a ball out of in front of me just because their minds and bodies work that way. Like, I don't know. I just don't have it that much anymore. For me, being a number two, I can see the ball coming to me. I can plan. I can snag it and I can go. And then I feel like I can do something. Where if I'm a number one, I'm never going to be a Braxton Ham. Especially like if I play against Braxton, I'm never going to get the ball. And that's where the game's won and lost. And so I'd rather let somebody else in front of me that knows how to grab the ball. And I'll stay in the back and pick up scraps. That's my deal. Do you think you're afraid of the ball because of your eyebrow? <laughs> Again, something I talk about in therapy. <laughs> yeah. He's sending a bill down to Texas for that. We've moved Paul onto this century. Now using a racket that is deep and has a very thick diff shaft. Feel more confident in throwing the ball to him, but it's still a frustrating thing. Frustrating as hell. All right, True Blood, what's your favorite position? No doubt in my mind, my favorite position is playing a number two. I feel like a number two, although you don't get any glory, whether you're super great or you could be super bad, the untrained person wouldn't know the difference, but you make the difference in your players looking great or you make it look like they can't get down the field. Your team has the ball and you're not marking up the way you should. It just looks like your team's getting double teamed and they don't know what to do with the ball and don't know how to move down the field. If your team if your team doesn't have the ball, all you have to do is think about getting the ball. You get to be the biggest nuisance to the other team that you can possibly be. That's what I do the best. I love to try and get the ball in the lineup. If I miss, it's not as big of a deal as the number three or number one. But at the same time, if I choose, I like to try and take the head off of somebody's racket. That's to me, as a two, you have such an option to do whatever suits you best. 100% my favorite position. Well, I'll say to you and Paul, some of the dirtiest players I've ever played against were at the number two position. They were down hitting me in the lineup. You think of, we'll have to bleep them out, but the number twos. I really feel like that's why you choose that position because you're just dirty player. Since we're all old grumpy men players, what are your biggest pet peeves? When you're watching Polo Cross, what really bothers you too long of a 10-yard throw so how, how long is too long you can't control it that's how long if you do a 10-yard throw that's when I, especially when i'm watching like i was just at practice today and i was coaching thanks ryan for not being there ryan true blood uh, yeah, buddy. kids are throwing the ball like solid 40 yards down the field and losing it every time that is my number one puppy. i would definitely say no doubt would be bad horsemanship 
specifically you see someone miss a goal or miss a pickup or or not turn quite quick enough you see them whipping their horse to try and get the horse to turn or correct whatever behavior they feel was bad horse behavior which really goes back to bad training behavior bad horsemanship is the number one for me my biggest pet peeve not so much with the playing but with certain umpiring calls i feel like i see it all the time where umpires are at the tee or maybe 15 yards towards the area from the tee and they call carryovers or inside the D and you can't make that call when you're that far away. It always looks like the person's carrying the ball over when you're you know, 20 yards behind them just from that perspective. What would you say your legacy is? Speaking from my own point of view, Murphy, I think if you do nothing else for the sport from this day forward, I think you've already made a legacy, whether it's the one that you think you've made or not. Every Everyone's in here on this screen right now, you've changed in a serious way. Paul's already said that Polo Cross has shaped his life and what he's done with it. Riders followed in your footsteps by going to SMU and moving to Texas and so on and so forth. Everything that the three of us have become, you've had a, a difference in changing. I don't think you realize that. But it's a serious thing. I appreciate that. You've made a huge impact on dozens of more people than you think. Maryland, North Carolina, Texas, it doesn't matter where. And you continue to every time you make one of these podcasts in a different way than the way you touched us. But, you know, now you're reaching out to other people. I appreciate that. Lightning round. These are some Maryland trivia. What's the state bird? All right. Good one. What's the state sport? Jousting. Jousting. Thank you. You got it. Oh my gosh. Stop answering the questions I haven't asked. Maryland holds the honors as the first state in the nation to designate a state exercise. What is the state exercise? of maryland crab call what is the state exercise of maryland squat is it the squat come on guys walking became the state exercise of maryland 1994 what was designated the state folk dance this dance form strider should know this one this dance form grew from dances of various cultures the morris and the maypole dances of england ballroom dances of france are you serious that is our state dance what is it the maypole dance? Well, square dancing. Yeah, I was saying really? contra dance. Just because that's what everybody did when I was growing up. I want to thank you guys for being on here. There's a lot of great stories. A lot of coming of age. It's a story of three three boys who became men, and they're now fathers. Over the last 20 years, just think of where their life has been led by Polo Cross and where they are now. It's been an honor. Uh, you guys have been a big part of my Polo Cross career. You're some of the best people I know. I just enjoy having conversations with you guys, so I appreciate it. So thanks for being a part of the podcast. Thank you, Murphy. Thanks, Murphy. You are an inspiration. You make us better men. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I look forward to the next one, too. All right, boys, I'm out. I got to go get to work tomorrow. One o'clock in the morning, East Coast time. It's my half day, and I got to see people at seven in the morning. I got to get up at 4.45. What? 4.45? Yeah. Why do you have to get up that early? Because I got to be to work before six o'clock. Oh, my God. Strider's I was at work like, before I don't even know six. if I'm going to put pants on. Do you even have to go to work, Strider? 
This is my work. Yeah, right. But like, you don't have to go into work, so you don't actually put pants on. Not tomorrow. I won't have to go in. I went in Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Murphy, thanks for uh, hosting this uh, get together. I'm sure it provided absolutely nothing for your podcast, but it's <laughs> fun for us. <laughs> ten minutes. We really maybe. enjoyed this. Ten yeah, minutes. I mean, maybe ten minutes. This was five hours. In yeah, our defense, we haven't all three sat together for longer than an hour and a long 15 years so i mean we could have if you came to the wedding murphy you're a hell of a good dude i'm real proud of you for all that you do for the sport thanks for influencing uh, our group of ragtags like us and thank god that strider turned out all right because yeah, strider's not ragtag he's good thank god how- strider turned out strider's done so many terrible things i don't know how he's got the way scott free thanks murphy all right bye, bye. bye. hey there Thanks for listening to this episode. I really appreciate the time that we shared, and I hope you enjoyed all the funny stories that we told along the way. And now I'd like to feature the first ever feedback for Chucka Talk. First, you'll hear from Ryan Trueblood, who was just featured on this episode, and then you'll hear from Luke Hagedorn from Western Australia. Hey, Murphy, it's Trueblood. I've noticed a trending question from multiple Chucka Talk episodes. That question is, what is your opinion on the multi-horse format? With this said, I've just listened to Chucka Talk episode 11 with Joy Poole. I loved it. She's an absolute legend. I mean, anyone that can say, the last time I spoke with the woman who invented the sport, I think we should all listen extremely close when she speaks. Joy also spent much of the episode noting how horsemanship is so crucial to the sport of polo cross. She spoke of how Australia won the World Cup in 2003 and 2019. In 2003, playing 100% the Australian-style game, and in 2019, a combination of the Australian and African game. Joy made a very clear point to say how the Australian horsemanship hadn't, quote, gone out the door, unquote, and said, quote, when you ride correctly, you ride with respect for your horse, unquote. With all this said, I get back to the original question at hand. The multi-horse format, in my opinion, does not better the sport. It does not bring more horses up more quickly. I believe it takes the horsemanship away from the game of polo cross. I believe it will allow players who do not put the time in training and conditioning to be competitive with those that take pride in their animal. If you want to run around like a chicken with your head cut off all weekend, and once you've run one horse into the ground, just trade it off like a machine for another, then there's already a game for you. It's called polo. But if you would like to play a sport of horsemanship where you know your horse and you know you've put in the hours of conditioning and training and you know how far to push your horse each game to still have gas left in the tank for the first place final, that's the sport of polo cross. Although polo cross may have been derived from polo, the game of polo cross is much different. I'm not trying to bring a negative light to polo. It's just formatted differently than polo cross. I hope not to see the multi-horse format take effect. In my opinion, it would take away from the core principle of polo cross, which is that of horsemanship. I do believe the game is evolving and changing, but I think there has to be a point where you have to realize what the core principles of polo cross are and have to stay true to them. Anyway, enough from me. I love your podcast, and I think it's doing great work for the sport. Keep up the good work, buddy. Thanks for listening to my rant. Talk to you later. Bye. Yeah, Ryan, Luke hanging on here from Western Australia. Um, just been listening to stuff about with your multi-horse. We've been trying something over here that seems to work a bit, where instead of 
you just have like four people in a team and then you can just have any number of combination of how many chuckers people play. And yeah, so we're calling it doubles up. Probably needs a better name than that. But yeah, and it's also a way that if you've got not many teams at the carnivals, instead of having, you know, four six man team, you can have six four man team and yeah, then there's almost double the amount of horses that can be played. Um, yeah, so there you go. Here on Chugga Talk, we appreciate your feedback. Have you enjoyed the show? Do you have questions or comments? Please rate and review on Apple Podcasts. For a chance to be featured on the show, leave a voicemail by finding the Send Voicemail Sidebar button on PoloCrossMadeSimple.com. For more PoloCross coaching, go to PoloCrossMadeSimple.com. You'll find ebooks on how to become a great player and even on how to become a great coach. Find me on Facebook and Instagram. Until next time, have a good one. Thank you.